Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. Hey friends, today's podcast topic is marriage. So what do we all think about marriage? Every single day, people are entering marriages and leaving marriages. Some are unraveling as we speak or hanging on by a tiny thread of hope, while others are exploding with love, happiness, and fulfillment. Or maybe it's something in the middle, not terrible, not great, but a feeling um, a bit mundane. The flames still lit, but could definitely be burning a little brighter. At different points in our marriage, we might be feeling any of these. So how do we make the love last through it all, through the inevitable highs and lows? How can we keep our marriage not only alive, but thriving? My next guest, yes, you heard that right. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with two wonderful guests who are married to each other and also co-wrote the book, The Go-Giver Marriage, a little story about the five secrets to lasting love. So I cannot wait to dive in and learn about what it takes to create a lasting love. Hey, John. Hey, Anna. I'm so grateful to have you both on the podcast today. It's great to be here. Thank you. What a lovely introduction that was. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. So you both know the secrets to everlasting love and you're in a beautiful marriage today, but for both of you, it didn't start out that way. Can we rewind time for a few minutes and talk about how things looked in your previous marriages and the lessons that came out of them? Who would like to go first? Yes. You go first. I'll go go first. first. It's a tough question. You have to take it. (laughs) That's, that's, that's just fine with me. I love tough questions. Um, Yeah. You said that for us, it didn't start out that way. You know, I I think for everyone, it doesn't start out that way. Even people who are madly in love because we all start out, um, we all start out coming out of a childhood where, as Anna says, we have, we have emotional baggage. We have uh, things that we bring with us, disappointments, hurts, pains, traumas, suffering, wounds. We have things we bring with us into every relationship. Um, I'll, I'll get personal rather than theoretical. Anna's really great at the theoretical part, but I'll just tell you my story. I'm not a therapist. She plays one. I play one on TV. She really is one. Um, You know, in my first marriage, I would say the biggest problem, the biggest challenge, and the biggest impediment in the way of that marriage creating fulfilling, lasting love, I I didn't really know myself that well. I didn't really have a very good understanding of my own internal self. I knew my external self really well. Like I knew a lot about my skills and abilities and stuff I wanted to do in the world. And I was great at talking in public and talking to people. But when it comes to the interior world of how I felt about things, I don't think I really had a lot of self-knowledge. And I would say that the same was true for my spouse, for my wife. I don't think that I knew her that well, as well as I don't think I knew myself that well. Um, You know, we got married young, as a lot of people do. For some people, that works out very nicely, and I applaud them, and I celebrate them, and I envy them, not me. (laughs) For for many of us, uh, that doesn't work out, because 
the 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 first flush of romance which is so wonderful and it's almost like a drug it's euphoric and it covers a lot of sins and foibles and blemishes and flaws um when you kind of wake up from that dream of of, of first love of romance you know you're living with somebody they're occupying your space and you're occupying their space and stuff starts to show up that you didn't know was in there and um you know you asked about lessons learned uh, I can't even sum that up in a sentence or two because that's why we wrote a book. You know, the lessons learned are all the things that I didn't really know and didn't understand um, in that in that you know in that early marriage. So I'm sure you know we'll get into more specifics as as the conversation unfolds. But I think the biggest issue to sum it up was I rushed into that marriage without having a clear understanding of who I was, let alone who the other person was. Oh, I love that. I think that hits on like something that is just like the theme for so many relationships and life is when, you know, we bring our childhood and all of our baggage. And if we don't unpack that and heal that, then it continues to just come with us as we go. And it's complex enough for one person. But then when you have two people, um, coming into a relationship, whether it's marriage, um, uh, friendships, um, coworkers, whatever the relationship is, you know, if we have that baggage with us, weighing us down, um, then it really impacts the relationship. So I love that you brought that up is finding, um, going inward and figuring like, who are you actually, so that you can, um, bring that to the relationship and understand all the parts of yourself. Yeah. So Anna, did you Absolutely. want to? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get really deep on the, on the personal wounds because um, like John said, and, and I have a phrase I say often that none of us escape childhood without emotional wounds. And we carry those emotional wounds into our early relationships, whether it's just dating or, but once we get into a committed relationship, even if it's not married um, after a year or two, those wounds start to unpack. And it is that emotional baggage that we all carry. I grew up in a family where I had um, really, really idyllic childhood in some ways. You know, I, I, I remember early times in therapy myself saying to my therapist, but I had a wonderful childhood. And slowly that same therapist helped me to unpack the fact that I had one parent who absolutely adored me and was very, very high functioning and very capable. And I had a second parent who suffered from depression. And we're older than you. And I'll say this about our age. When my mother was in her 30s and 40s, there literally were no medications for depression. Prozac came out when my mother was approaching 50. And that's when she got on it. And, but what happens with depression is similar to what happens with alcoholism. You have a parent who is very unavailable to you emotionally and in all ways. So there's a level of neglect that goes on when you have a parent who's depressed. There's a level of neglect that goes on when you have a parent who's an alcoholic. Um, Neither of my parents were alcoholic, neither, neither of John's were either. And they were in a committed marriage. They got along like a house on fire with each other. Um, 
but there were wounds there and I was used to fending for myself emotionally. And so when I got, and I'm an introvert. So when I got into an adult relationship, I, I married for life because my parents had married for life. And I really believed that this is a commitment. You make it, there's going to be for better, for worse. So at times when I felt lonely in the marriage, and I'll just suffice it to say that my, um, my husband came from a background where there was a tremendous amount of neglect. So we both had a pattern of fending for ourselves and, and, and going it alone, if you will. And I don't think that either one of us really fully understood how to bond to another um, in, in concrete ways and or to nurture and take care of the other, mm. to, give, to give that attention. When you didn't get the attention, you don't really know how to give the attention either. I, was, I became a therapist early, so I had a lot more going on in terms of understanding the dynamics and, and trying to approach conversations, but I think I spent too much energy trying to control the conversations and, and move them toward deeper, more intimate topics that he wasn't ready for. So I'll just say, I think that we both were in our own corners, and every time I felt lonely in the relationship, I would say to myself, well, this is a commitment there's bright days and there's cloudy days and you know you're not always and, and also i would say you're asking the relationship to nourish you and you need to find that nourishment on your own so i pursued my career which was very important to me i wrote papers for psychological journals i was very invested in understanding my work and doing a good job at it so i just tried to find ways to nourish and, and feed myself but the relationship wasn't bringing it. And what happened was, you know, you wake up 20 years later and, and this marriage lasted 21 years. Um, you wake up 20 years later and you realize that you're both in different corners and you don't know each other anymore. Oh, wow. And that's a lonely place to get to. Yes. And all of those years, you know, feeling, um, feeling that way, feeling the lonely and just being in it because you've committed and that's, what you signed up for. Did you have something to add there, John? Yeah, I'm just gonna add, and I sort of can't resist adding this little story because it goes so beautifully with the question that you asked, but it speaks to the issue of, of, um, of common background. I mean, my, my parents, when I, when I, in my first time I got married, my parents knew it was a bad idea. Uh, this is probably not an uncommon experience for parents. <laughs> I know it was true um, for, for honest parents too. They knew it was a bad idea, but what were they going to say? They say, Johnny, I don't think you should do this. If they'd said that, I wouldn't have listened, and they knew it very well. <laughs> yeah, right. And it was true. If they'd said that, I would have just said, you know, what did they know? <laughs> well, <as it> they <laughs> knew quite a bit that I didn't know, uh, but I didn't understand that as a young man. So, um, so what could they do but show up at the wedding and and give give it their blessing or do do their very best. At the, uh, at the ceremony, I got married in a big Catholic church. My wife was from a big Catholic family, and so we had a big Catholic wedding on a Sunday, which you don't normally do, but her father had sway in the church. And so we had this big Catholic wedding. And just before the ceremony, I know this sounds like a scene out of Four Weddings and a Funeral, but it actually happened. Um, the, the priest... To, was you know out back with me. I don't know what that room is called, way out back there. And he he took me into a little room out back, and 
He'd done his priestly thing of the various kinds of uh, last minute instructions and so forth, dialogue. And he said, I want to show you something. And he brought me to the back of the church and he showed me a door at the very back of the church. He said, That's, that leads to the outside. I just want you to know. <laughs> and I remember thinking, why is he telling me this? And it was only later, and I mean, some years later, that I realized he knew this family really well. And in his pastoral wisdom, he was saying, you may want to run while you can. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and, and, and the truth is, and it's, it's a hilarious story, but it makes a, a sober point, which is what my parents understood that I didn't was we came from really different backgrounds. And I'm not referring to religious backgrounds. We came from very different cultural and sort of temperamental backgrounds. We did not fit. Um, our families did not fit. And, you know, you see all these romantic comedies where you have the, the guy and the girl from two totally different backgrounds and they're, they're, in, they're impossible and they bump up against each other and their sparks fly and they hate each other. And then at the end of the movie, they love each other and they get married. And that's a great Hollywood movie. But in reality, there's something to that thing about do our backgrounds work together? Uh, you don't have to be from the same ethnic background or religious background or socioeconomic background. You don't have to be cut from the same cloth to be a compatible couple. It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying was my first wife, wife and I, we, loved, we liked each other a whole lot. We loved each other, but we didn't understand each other. We came from such different worlds. Anna and I don't come from identical worlds. Our parents weren't in the same profession exactly. Um, but actually, they kind of but, were. They but were pretty teachers. similar, pretty similar. And we fit temperamentally. We fit intellectually. We have we just we like we're made for each other. Um, and I think that that's that's easy to to overlook when you're in the first flush of romance, as I said before. But it's important. It's like, do we really are we going to live in do we want to live our entire lives decades long of an experience growing together? And, you know, yeah, we do. We do. We're doing it now and we, we love it. But um, I think that my personally, I think my first marriage, even if we had behaved differently, even if I had known these five, these five secrets, it's over in this side, these five secrets, um, I, I think the, the marriage, you know, it may have been doomed to start with. Certainly it was often a tough footing. Okay. That was one of my questions that even if, you know the five secrets and you're in relationships are they um like are are they are you able to apply them to any marriage and have it lasting or you know both of you come from previous marriages that um were i guess for the time being there was lessons that came out of them that you probably carry with you today um i'm married to um my wonderful husband who was previously married, who, you know, that relationship didn't work out, but then we got into a relationship. So some marriages really, I guess you find your footing or you find, you know, what isn't kind of meshing or connecting and then take this knowledge or this growth, growth or evolution, maybe with you on the path into your next relationship. So just because you have the five secrets, it doesn't mean 
that the marriage will necessarily last? Will you uncover if maybe it's not the right place for you to be? I can't wait to hear what you say about this. Actually, I really believe that about 90% of marriages, maybe even 92, can be saved by the five secrets and not just saved, that they can thrive because of these five secrets. And I'll tell you why. The five secrets are really based in developmental theory. And to put developmental theory in a nutshell, it's that what you needed as an infant and a child, you still needed as an adolescent and an adult. So each secret has its own unique niche of how it feeds and nourishes you at a deep level. So even if only one person in the marriage is practicing the five secrets, the entire tone of the marriage will change and it will change for the better because how people respond when they're being given to in the ways that the five secrets define um, is that they warm up and they get more responsive and they suddenly, you know, I, I have one client where the woman practiced this five secrets. She had a really, she had a husband, who was like kind of watching TV at night and not paying much attention to much beyond that. And he didn't do dishes and he didn't clean up. And, you know, he was just a guy who came home from work and sat in his chair and she was pretty unhappy. She had a lot of, she had a long list of things that were wrong. She couldn't find many things that she thought were right. And when I really got her making a list and really investigating the things that she loved and adored and the things that she treasured about him, she really started to wake up to the fact that there really was this deep well of love that she had held for many years, but it was kind of sleeping because she had what she called hands on your hips status. She was kind of criticizing him a lot. She was measuring him and he was never measuring up. So when she shifted the tone and started practicing these secrets out of the blue one day, he came home from the grocery store where he was just supposed to get milk and eggs and he had a bouquet with him. And he said, you know, I never buy you flowers anymore, but you're such a doll and thank you for putting up with me. That's what he said, thank you for putting up with me. And he gave her these flowers and she was like jaw dropped. I mean, she couldn't even speak, she was so shocked. But slowly over the next month of her, just, just her practicing, everything warmed up. He suggested spontaneously they take a walk in the evening, which she really wanted because this was a woman who wanted time with him. And she, he started um, saying, hey, maybe we should go away for the weekend. How about I book us at this hotel and we go out to the ocean for the weekend? And she was like, yeah. They started like going out and exploring and going to sightseeing places like, you know, out on the coast. And she said it was just like he wasn't practicing the five secrets. He wasn't returning any of the things, but he was giving to her in ways that she had always wanted. Oh. And yeah, and she was the only one practicing. And she said, he still sat in front of the TV. He still left his socks on the floor, but she had let go of all those things because of our work together. I was like, you cannot keep a scorecard if you want your marriage to make it. Now they had been together 18 or 19 years at that point, and she was ready to hang it up. And not only are they going strong, but he read the book about five or six months after she started practicing the secrets, he read the book 
And this was somebody that, you know, I've known for a long time and we've been working on this book for years. And when you publish, the book is finished a year and a half before you ever hit your pub date. So she had access to an early copy and he read it and was like, wow, this is so simple. And he started practicing the secrets himself. And they're going so, they're so strong now. It's amazing. And they were on the verge of a divorce. She was, she was done. Um, that gives me full body goosebumps. I just, it makes me so emotional because I feel like, you know, in, in life, so many people get to that point where they're like, well, what else, what else can I do? And, you know, maybe making the list and your spouse isn't measuring up or you're just like hanging on by a thread and, you know, you've tried so many things and nothing's, you know, nothing's moving or changing, but it totally makes sense because like just comparing it to energy in the room, like you can walk into a room and you can bring that positive light and that energy and make the space a beautiful place. And you can, you know, have a low vibrating energy and that can kind of taint a room or shift the energy in a room. So just like you say, with the secrets that, you know, it doesn't have to be the two people, you know, going through the process of the book together in the same time to create this shift in the marriage. It takes one person because I think, you know, in a lot of relationships, it might be, how do you approach that? Oh, here's a book. Here's you yeah. need to do it together. But if, if one person is willing to pick up a copy of the book and dive into the secrets and start practicing the secrets, then I just love that story. How, you know, they were ready. She was ready to be like, see you later. I'm done. Like I am not fulfilled anymore. Um, and how it could, could transform things. So that's, Uh, I think what you're saying is so, so great because you know, it's, one might be tempted to say, well, I could never get my husband to read this book. Therefore, you know, what's the point? No, it's not like that. (laughs) Um, Or I could never get my wife to read that book. It's not like that because it's exactly what you're saying. Frequently, in fact, when a couple changes in a positive way, one person takes takes a first step. That's not uncommon. That's almost normal. Yes, we know people who are who are couples who are reading the book together, and that's fantastic. Of course, it's great when when that happens, but it doesn't happen just as often as it does, just as frequently that there's one person who says, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this my work. I'm going to make, I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to do this. And then we're going to see what happens. And, and the reason that that works it, from my point of view is that when you work on your marriage, you don't work on your marriage, you work on yourself. No. You can't work on the other person. It's like, how is that? Are you going to be like a dentist and get inside their mouth and change how they think? You can't change another person. All you can really work on is yourself and how you interact with that person, how you present yourself to that person, how you receive that person. So yeah, one person can transform the the tone of a a whole marriage. Oh, I love that. Like, I feel like everybody, yeah, just has this hope. Absolutely. And if I may add something to that, you know, the ego is a powerful thing in relationships. In, in all of life, the ego is a powerful thing. People are constantly 
either they're on social media or in there in their job or whatever. And they're always looking at somebody else and comparing how they're doing versus how you're doing. And in a marriage, it's really tempting to constantly keep score. And I mean, keep score. And people are really like, you know, I did the dishes three times this week. And what have you done? And as long as you're letting the ego not only control the interaction and keep you in that place of scorekeeping and seeking control and then using criticism as your weapon. You know, it's, it, and it doesn't even have to be direct. It can be like a little passive aggressive comment in the kitchen, you know, but as long as you're getting your dig in, you're scorekeeping on the marriage and scorekeeping on the other person in a way that will make, it will cause them to withdraw from you. And a lot of marriages, they'll say, well, we don't do anything together anymore. We're kind of in our own corners. There's loneliness. And the truth is, yeah, maybe you created that loneliness because I sure would run headlong away from somebody who criticized me three times a day. Um, and that's what happens to people. They get in patterns where we're running a house, there's kids, there's housekeeping, there's laundry to do, there's everybody's working. And my job is just as stressful as yours, you know, keeping that scorecard of like, who's on top. Um, and people will withdraw from intimacy, they'll withdraw from hanging out. Um, you'll, the affection that used to be in the kitchen and everywhere else around the house is starts to wane because we're spending so much energy on these two issues of control and, and scorekeeping. Okay. How, can I, how can I come out on top? And part of the premise of our book is that you, the first thing you have to do is relax your ego and drop the scorecard. Oh, okay. Before we get into some of these secrets, um, uh, gosh, there's so many things. Before we get into the secrets though, um, how did you come up with these five secrets? Like, did you have to do research and go and interview a bunch of couples? Did it come from within? Did it come from your relationship? How did you narrow it down to five secrets? Shall I start? Sure. Um, I mean, all of the things you just said, but it really, they, they came together from several sources. Anna mentioned this earlier that they come from developmental theory or there's a basis in developmental theory. And in terms of the research, um, that's Anna's whole adult professional life. She's, she's, um, that's, that was her degree is in, is in uh, marriage therapy and, and that's been her practice for decades. Um, so, so that's, she has sort of the theoretical foundation that is the underpinning of what makes these five secrets so solid. But it also comes from our experience both ourselves as a married couple and also observing other married couples that we've known over the decades, starting with our parents, um, who, who, as Anna said, you know, both of our sets of parents were, were you know, lifelong partners who had so much to teach us both about the way they managed and, and maintained their relationship. And we've known you know, plenty of other relationships as well, a lot of other couples. So it's kind of an observation of, of real life. Um, and it's also related to the original book. There was a book uh, that came out in 2008 called The Go-Giver. The cover looks a lot like this, but it's red. Uh, and that was uh, something that I co-authored with a, with a friend who um, 
that has gone on to, to be a very popular book. And it's a business book, but it's about the same idea underpinning business relationships as this underpins personal relationships, which is just this idea of living your life with a spirit of generosity, of putting your focus on, on being there for other people, on looking at what they need, on seeing how you can enhance their lives, serve their lives, rather than always keeping score and saying, how can I get ahead in this situation? You know, who's, who's being fair and who's not? Um, so the book had a, had a number of inputs, but, um, but fundamentally it's just, it's our experience filtered through this theoretical understanding of developmental theory that's that's underpinning it. And I should really kick it over, the mic over to you, sweetheart, for that. I don't have a lot to add to that, except to say that um, we knew we wanted to write this book when the original Go-Giver came out and when it was actually first written in 2005. So it's been a very long journey. 17 um, years, 17 yeah. years we've and, been waiting. <laughs> and we have a lot of friends for years because we've been together 25 years. And people still ask us, you know, how come you're like on your honeymoon? Like, what's your secret sauce? And so the fact that people were always asking us that, we started to sort of self-examine as well. Um, I am a big, I'm big into research. So I've interviewed lots of couples and interviewed lots of people about, about what makes it tick, what makes it work. Uh, but the five secrets we, we came up with on long walks, John and I go for long walks every day, and we would discuss it and I would bring theory up and talk about what it means personally. And it was also, it's also based on decades of research because there's a lot of research about happiness and what makes people happy. And the truth is that givers live longer. They, every cell in their body is changed by giving. Their hearts are healthier. They suffer far less depression and, um, in general, their, their mood states and their whole ability in the world is, is enhanced by the fact that they are givers in every corner of their world. So we're not talking about you know, making contributions to the local nonprofit. We're talking about being a giving person. Now, people that are scorekeepers will tell you that that's you being the martyr and laying down and giving, 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 giving in order to feel like you're enough. Um, and I would heartily disagree. I love that. Yeah, the, the Go-Giver, the original Red book that I got my hands on, it got recommended. I said, like, I want some books for this year. Like, what books do you recommend? That was one of them. It was like a day reading through it. I've read through it twice. I'm going to keep that book and read it. Like, it is such an incredible story with such... Uh, I don't even know, profound, simple, it's simplistic, simplistic, but so profound at the same time, which I cannot wait to get my hands on this book. And I love how you link it back to, um, the theoretical side of, of childhood. That is like the root of so many problems and unhappiness and abrasiveness and like all of this stuff is linked to childhood. So bringing that, those principles into this book, um, I just think it's, it's so exciting that, um, this is going to be like a, 
I don't know, like a magic, I don't even know if I want to call it magic, but like this, <laughs> this resource or this tool that we can all get our hands on. Uh, go ahead, call it magic. That's okay. Yeah, this <laughs> magical book. Like I cannot wait because like just reading the go-giver and just, you know, when your perspective, when you read something or get new wisdom or knowledge and, and it just like these little tiny shifts start to happen in your thinking. Like it's the little tiniest things that make the biggest difference. So, um, can we get into like, uh, each of you maybe sharing one of your favorite secrets, there's five, but like, what is the secret to a Mm -hmm. lasting love? Well, there's five. And we like to say that we have no favorite children. Um, (laughs) But I I always share one particular secret um, because I think it's just so powerful, but it's it's so often missed in the day-to-day traffic of life. And it's the first secret. And it is to appreciate. And... I no longer work with couples. I work with only one person at a time. And the reason is, as I said earlier, only one person has to practice the secrets in order for it to be really a powerful shift in the marriage. But everybody wants to be appreciated. I mean, deeply wants to be appreciated. In fact, if you look at all psychological theory, the need to be seen, heard, and understood and witnessed is the most powerful need in the world. It doesn't matter whether you're an infant or an 89 year old. You you want to be seen and understood. You do not want to be dismissed and you want to be be listened to and appreciated. So I ask clients to find three opportunities per day. And that's just to begin. Uh, Three opportunities a day to find something that you love about your spouse and then take the time to tell them. And and it can be something really simple, but I ask people to be really authentic. Um, And, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. One of my clients, uh, her husband took the kids Christmas shopping on a Friday night when she was, she had had a, you know, what she called the week from hell at work. And she was so stressed out. He took three kids out finished their Christmas list off, brought them home, took them for ice cream, brought them home, took them upstairs, wrapped all the presents, and they kept skipping down the stairs and putting them under the, under the tree with secrets. And they were lit up. They had had a wonderful night with their dad. And for her, she took a hot bath and had a glass of wine, and she was so happy. Uh, but she said the next morning when they had coffee, she thanked him with, when they went to bed. But the next morning when they had coffee, she said, I just want you to know that when I watch you with our children, when I listen to you talk with them, when I see how you just rescued me from the worst week and took the kids out and took care of everything, and they came home just so wound up and excited and happy because they had time with you, I just realized that I'm so blessed and I feel so thankful that you are the father of our children. And she said, he's like a man who's never without words. And she said he was stammering over himself, but he finally said, thank you. Like, you have no idea. That's the thing that I want the most. I want to be a good father. And 
you know, they went on with their day, but she said the whole tone of the day changed. You know, it was a lovely day. He made pancakes in the kitchen and, you know, she cleaned up after, you know, the kid, he and the kids went out to the park. You know, it's just, you know, just that energy of starting off the day by letting someone know that you just love them and that you deeply appreciate who they are in the world. And it could be something as simple as saying, you know, I love the way you are as a friend. Your, Your friends are so lucky to have you. You're so loyal and you're such a good friend. And, you know, it's a simple little thing to say, but it's from the heart. It's authentic. And it's an it's an appreciation of who the other person is. Oh, I love that. I feel like. And I want to just add to that, that, you know, this is like, if you think about the way you are, if you have kids or if you've been with kids, think about the way you want to be with kids and you look for things to praise them about. And it's it's not just to say you're a good kid. And that's nice. But that's like say, saying to your spouse, honey, I love you. Well, it's, it's lovely to say, honey, I love you. But it, strangely enough, it doesn't carry that far because it's so, it's kind of vague. So part of the secret is to make this practical and get very specific. So, um, you know, there's this, there's a scene, I should say that, by the way, the book is, is written it's in two halves, it has two parts. And the first part is called The Parable. And like the original Go-Giver, it's a story about a young couple um, who's having some challenges in their life. And then the second half is called the practice. So the parable tells the story that's kind of kind of leads to these uncovering these five secrets. Second half, the practice, Anna, in, in a more of a, a how-to guide, she unwraps those lessons from the story and explains them in plain English and with directions basically so that you can apply them in your own life. And, you know, it's how to apply the, the lessons of the story. And there's one point in the story, inside the story, there's a, a character who tells a sort of fairy tale, a fable we call it. And there's a princess and a young man in the fable who are married and every day the young man says to his, to his young wife, I love you. And she says, I love you too. And he goes off to work and she goes off to work and they do their day. And one day he comes home from work and says, I love you. Instead of saying, I love you too, she says, yeah, you do? Really? And he says, yeah. He says, well, how? And he's confused. Like, well, what do you mean how? She says, how exactly do you, what is it you love about me? And he said, I love everything about you. She (laughs) says, but what exactly? I need specifics here. (laughs) And uh, so he has to think about it because he, he says, well, you're very beautiful. And she says, every young woman is beautiful. Tell me more, you know, say, what is it exactly that you love? And so he has to think about it. And this is real. You might have to think about it. You might have to actually sit for a few moments by yourself and say, no, I I love this woman or I love this man. But what specifically, (laughs) what can I say that isn't just, you're a great gal. Well, great. (laughs) You know, (laughs) thank you very much. You're a strapping young lad. But you know, so this thing that Anna said in her story, I, when I hear you talk to our children, I just, it makes me feel warm all over. You're such a great father. That's really specific. Um, sometimes Anna will tell me things like, you're so good at doing X. And it's like, oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, so part of, the, part of the, the, the challenge of the secret is to get specific about it. And it doesn't have to take a long time. It's not a big deal. It doesn't have to be like, you know, you have to say, honey, I got to talk. 
You have to sit down for an hour. Yeah, it, it can be brief. Yes, sweetheart. I want to add in a, another facet to the secret because every secret that's explained in the back of the book and it gives we give you how tos on how to how to put it into action in your marriage um, has an opposite, mm-hmm. and the opposite of appreciation is criticism. And I'll tell you if people could get control of their criticism, marriages all over the country would change because criticism is one of the hallmarks of divorce. Marriages that have criticism as a tone and as a constant end up getting divorced because nobody wants to be criticized day and night, week in and week out. And criticism is just, is, is a way in my opinion of devaluing the other person constantly. Whereas appreciation is a way of not only valuing the person, but expressing that value to them. Mm -hmm. And I love how you said. Criticism not, not leads not only to divorce. It also, it also creates even in a couple that doesn't get divorced. And there are a lot of couples that we've observed I'm sure everybody has that stay together for decades, but the dynamic isn't good. Like it's, it's, we have friends that we go out with sometimes where it's like the the dinner is uncomfortable for us because they got this dynamic going where they've kind of fallen into a pattern where the way that they coexist is by taking little digs at each other. None of them are major, right? None of them are vicious. They're just like little digs. And Anna mentioned earlier the term passive aggressive. Passive aggressive is like what politicians call plausible deniability. When you make a <laughs> passive aggressive dig, you get, if, if, if the other person should react, you get to say, I was just kidding, right? It's plausible deniability. But you weren't just kidding. And even if you were, there's a barb in it and the barb is real and it hurts. The fact that you were just kidding, JK, or that you have this you know, plausible deniability of like, yeah, I didn't mean anything by it. That doesn't take away the sting. It just gives you cover so that you can mm. keep doing it. It's a way to maintain this sort of ongoing semi-hostile relationship that doesn't blow up in your face because you're keeping it somewhat under wraps, but it's, a, it's an ugly and uncomfortable status quo. And, and a lot of people carry on like that. You know, that's the way, not only in marriages, but as you said, Candace, earlier, friendships and, and colleagueships and in work relationships and other kind of relationships, people can maintain this kind of digging at each other and they found a way to do it that doesn't blow up, but it sure isn't lasting love. It's lasting misery in a quiet form. You can't, or I, anyway, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and out on a limb and say, you can't change a habit of criticism by trying to change the habit of criticism. It's like any bad habit, the way you change it is to replace it. And this is what Anna is saying. It's like, you go to criticism's opposite, which is you adopt a pattern of appreciation. So it's like what you do in the book, we say, well, when you f- find yourself being crit- thinking a critical thought, even if you haven't given it voice yet, you're slipping into, into a critical pattern. At that moment, take a breath and go, Look for something I'm grateful for. Look for something that makes me glad I married this person. Look for something I appreciate, something I love about this person. Look for that and say it, tell them. And, and adopting that pattern 
that will in time, it's like, it's like changing your posture in time that will make that critical posture fade away. Oh, how beautiful that, like you said, we get into these patterns, right? Patterns of just doing what we've done. So taking the opposite and replacing it and appreciation. Like I have a wall beside of me, um, pinned up with the appreciation that other people have given me, whether it's little cards, um, little, little snippets of thank you, or this, or this is what I love about you. And words are so, so powerful. The ones that I hold on to are specific. Like you said, they're not vague. It's like very specific things that people appreciated about me that, you know, give you a little pep in your step, kind of light you up that you can revisit or, you know, even spoken words, when somebody says something to you that is very specific, like some of the examples that you were giving, then you can like relive that moment of appreciation that you've received over and over again. And like, it just instantly, um, kind of changes things. I think like when I go back and look at some of these things and read them over again, I'm like, it's, it's just so lovely to be able to be specific about it. Okay. So John, I know you don't have any favorites. You know, you got five kids here in the book, none of your favorites, um, yeah. but which we one have would five you- kids in life? Yeah. We actually have five kids as it happens. So there you go. So you want me to spill my favorite? Yeah. Yeah. Which one would you like to highlight today? That's very well said. Very diplomatically put. No, I, yes. I'll highlight one too. Um, sure. This is, uh, and again, all five of the secrets are, are simply, uh, behaviors you can practice every day. And Candace, you said it exactly. It, it's these little shifts, little changes, little actions are what make the big difference in the long run. Um, so these are all simple and, and easy, uh, but, but they have huge implications in the tone and the, and the passage and course of your, of your relationship. So mine is a secret that we call allow. And allow means... allow means something like the word grace. It means giving your partner the benefit of the doubt, giving them a pass, giving them a little extra support when it feels like they need it, maybe. Uh, Allow is like when one of us is stressed for whatever reason. And this can happen in big ways because huge things happen to us. We could have a financial collapse. We could have an illness in the family. We could have a, you know, accident that, that, that uh, affects our ability to, to, you know, to live our lives. We could have the death of a sibling or of an old friend or all kinds of things can really knock us off our game and create a situation where, where we really depend on our spouse to kind of hold up more than, than 50% of the, of, the, of the load here because I'm suffering. I kind of need you to hold me up. That's a time when I need you to give me some allowance, some space, some grace. And it happens in little ways. Like if I didn't sleep well last night, or I'm a little off, or I'm a little under the weather, or I got a phone, had just had a phone call that ended badly, something with with work. Little things that happened during the day that knocked me off my game, that knock your spouse off her game. And then you need to give a little extra space, a little allowance. Um, Allow doesn't mean putting up with consistently bad behavior. 
Allowed doesn't mean I will be a doormat. Whatever you do is okay because I'm just meek little me and you can even, you know, yell at me and hit me and that's fine because I want, no, it's not what allow means. <laughs> allow doesn't mean you should never stand up for yourself. Allow means have a spirit of generosity. There's, Anna mentioned the scorecard and there's this concept in the book which we feel really strongly about which we call the us. And it's like this, here is me and here's you. We're each whole individuals. When we live together for a, long, for a length of time, we overlap in the same space. And that overlapping of you and me is the us. And the us is really the marriage. It's the relationship. And the us is like a living, breathing entity. It's an organism. It's a life of its own, which means it's either growing or it's dying. You know, you're either feeding it or you're starving it. Everything you do when you're, when you're in proximity with your, with your partner, you're either feeding the us or starving the us. So it's really easy in a, in a close relationship to start to, to, to default into the you versus me mode, where it's now whose turn is it to be, you know, to get their way? Um, and that's like a zero-sum game where if I give in to you and we, we do it your way, then I'm, I've lost out. That's like a business transaction. It's not even a very good business transaction, by the way. But a relationship isn't like that. A relationship is, is not if I win, you lose, or if you win, I lose. It's how are we feeding the us? How are we behaving in a way that amplifies the both of us together? Um, and so... What kind of goes with that understanding is if you act defensively in, in, in like an argument, you're separating into two people. If you act aggressively, like we said, criticizing, you're being two people. It's when you give grace, when you give allowance, you're acting as an us. You're acting as a steward of the relationship. What that takes is the understanding that marriage is not fair. When you're looking for what's fair, then you're looking at what divides us. You can't see the us, it becomes invisible. To see the us, you have to drop this idea of what's fair. And, and that's you know, what we call the mindset of lasting love. And you know, allow is sort of the doorway into that mindset. It's often something that doesn't come up early in a relationship, but comes up over time. And especially as, you know, as tough things happen. Right. Then scorekeeping happens and then there's the grace is thrown out the window. Um, so what yeah. is the opposite then of allow? Mm, that's a great question. And I happen to know somebody who can give you a really good answer. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of allow is control. And whenever we've had childhood wounds, we have a lot of control issues. I mean, we want to control the universe because we feel like that's the only way we can feel safe within it. But in a relationship, control is like, like pinning someone on the floor and snuffing the air out of them. You know, it, it, really, it really just, it basically infantilizes your partner because you're constantly treating them like a child because you're trying to control everything. And you're trying to control what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, who's going to vacuum on Saturday, you know, how things are going to go. I have this going on. So you have to cover this and this and this and this. 
you know, it'd be nice if they could maybe be allowed to cover it on their own <laughs> rather than being told. Um, if you're parenting your, your spouse and controlling the life out of the relationship, you're not allowing for any spontaneity at all. And also you're, you're keeping that little scorekeeper alive and well because you're creating it as a transaction, as a zero sum game where I only win if you lose. Um, and there's just that constancy of trying to control things. I think that it's something that both women and men do. They all have their own unique ways. We all have our own unique ways of doing it. Um, you know, I, I've, I've known many women who, you know, the house really matters to them. They want the house clean. And, you know, when he leaves stuff around or he doesn't wash a coffee cup or whatever, there are people who will just really get into this being an issue. You've got to pull your weight. I'm not going to live with somebody who doesn't pull their weight 50-50. Um, you know, it's, it's still scoring and it's still trying to control the interaction and control the outcome. And if, and allow, I'll give you an example that's really beautiful. I broke my leg in a compound fracture. I had over 30 fracture lines and it was my knee actually. So when they, when you break your knee, they don't cast it. Uh, so it's, it's extremely painful to move in any way at all. So I didn't walk for a year and a half because it was such a complex and I had to have surgeries and things like that. So John instantly went from having somebody who did a lot of things around the house to having somebody in the house who couldn't get a glass of water across the room for herself because I was on crutches for a year and a half. So he took over not only, you know, picking up and managing loads. I couldn't carry a load of laundry into the laundry room. You know, I mean, there were so many things I couldn't do. And it went on for a year and a half. I mean, he could have been like with his arms folded and fed up in 30 days. This went on for 18 months. And so he was not only making dinner, but he was setting up water all over the house for me so that I had, tea, had something to drink. He was making me every cup of tea and coffee that I got to drink during that 18 months he made. I mean, it sounds like, you know, he had to take over and kind of run the house because he did. But he never scored with me, not for one minute, because he knew I was rehabbing like crazy and doing everything I could to get back on my feet. When we finally were able to take long walks again, and I was walking just fine, there wasn't a day that went by that we weren't both marveling at the fact that we were just moving through space. And I immediately picked up the mantle and took over all kinds of things in the house and just said, I want you to go to your room and shut the door and write because it's what he does. He's written over 30 books and he's a four-time New York Times bestseller and a five-time national bestseller. And it's like what he does. So carrying water and, and tea for the wife, that was not my idea of what he should be doing. It was somebody's so, idea, apparently. Yeah, exactly. It was just an odd moment, but that's allow because in that moment, you have a choice. You can either whine and complain about the fact that this has happened, or you can just take care of what's happened. And and that's what he did. So I use that in an example because we like to say that allow is the for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. And it's the sickness, the worse, and the poorer. You know, people lose their jobs and you're gonna have to carry it for three months while your spouse looks for a new job. 
you know, it's like stuff happens. And if you don't give people grace, then you'll be at each other's throat. I, I want to add that the, the, just this thing about control that w- people tend to, we tend to, when things get uncomfortable, again, proximity, right? We each bring our own baggage. We each have our own internal stuff that we haven't fully unpacked. And when, when, we, when we live together, the friction happens and that stuff starts to come out. When we start to get uncomfortable, it's easy to want to make the other person change so that we feel more comfortable. I wish you would say things this way. Could you actually react that way? When I, like when I tell a joke, could you make this face? When, you know, can, could you be, when we go to parties, you should talk a little more. When we go to parties, you should talk a little less. You know, you should gain a few pounds. You know, you should lose a few pounds. I want to make the other person different in some way to fit into this little box better so that I can feel comfortable because I have stuff of my own that's making me uncomfortable. That's all control. And it, just, it rises in obvious ways and it rises in really subtle ways. And the answer is always to take a breath and say, this, tough, this discomfort is my discomfort. It's not about the other person. It's about me. And, you know, they're just doing their best to be them. It and, doesn't go, go ahead. And this is the secret that defines and, and actually eliminates codependency patterns. Because codependency is always a pattern of control. You're trying to control the other person. And when you do that, you're telling them who they should be, how they should react, you know, everything. You know, if they weigh 15 pounds more than you would like them to, that's their business, not yours. And the only one that can lose that 15 pounds is them. And you telling them that they're not attractive to you until they do, uh uh-uh, it's not going to help anything. So, you know, it's codependence is a real thing because that's when we come out of childhood and we get into relationships and we have all those control issues, we're trying to wield control and we're always trying to wield it on the other person. Wow. I love that you brought that up. The control control. When I feel controlled, it's like the life is being sucked out of me. Like nobody wants to feel like they're controlled. Everybody wants to control themselves and live their life, um, as authentically as they can without, you know, having somebody else telling them what they should be doing, what they could be doing better, how they should do things. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a big one, the, the control and, and allow. Yeah. And allow is really, you know, the the actual secret defines it as allowing your partner to be who they are, the way they are. And that's just the circumstance of what's going on, whether there's a broken leg or they're 15 pounds overweight, they get to be who they are, the way they are. And you have to allow for that. And there's a practice you can do here too, because we think we say in the book, love is a practice. It's not about a feeling that you have. It's about a, a way that you implement your behavior every day. And, and there's a practice here, which is kind of like, you know, Anna said, look for three things you appreciate a day about your spouse and tell them, well, with this, you can look for one opportunity Just look for one, one opportunity every day. So each day when you get out of bed, you brush your teeth, you have your coffee, whatever you do, somewhere in the back, you're thinking in your mind, okay, I'm looking for an opportunity to practice allow, to practice allowance, to give my partner grace. And I promise you, You'll find more than one. <laughs> You'll find more than one in, the, in any, any day. But look for one. 
And what you'll what you'll probably find is is by ten or eleven in the morning you found one and say oh that's the one but then an hour later you're going oh no maybe maybe that's the one and then by three o'clock you're like well I got five I think I'll, that's going to be the most important one <laughs> you'll find them everywhere they're great um, and it's it's great because it really creates a new pattern it's a new habit of I have my life they have their life and we're living together each of us allowing the other one to be who they are instead of trying to control them. And it is the stupid stuff. You know, I, my client, I have a client who his, her husband would leave his socks on the floor virtually every single night. <laughs> and in the morning, she would not only be irritated, irritated by it, but she would make sure, even if it was later in the day, to say, look, I, I really want you to pick up your socks. It's getting old. You know, she would say something to him. And when she finally really started wrapping her head around a Lao, she told me, this is just the greatest moment in our, in our session together. She said, you know, I realized it took me less than five seconds to put those socks in the laundry basket. And it really meant nothing. And she said, he is so good to me in so many ways. She's like, this is the guy that, you know, mixes me a, a drink on Friday night when I get home because he knows I just want to sit down in front of the fireplace outside and chill for half an hour. And she said, he'll make me whatever I want, even if it's a mocktail, not a cocktail, or I want a glass of wine or whatever. And he's always got some snack all made. And he was going to spend that first hour on Friday night, just smoozing with me in front of a fire. She's like, why am I bickering over the socks? You know, so it, it's, it's the little stuff that'll really slam you. Yes. And the, the little stuff, like we mentioned earlier, that will transform and have such a big impact. Oh my gosh. Um, I can't wait to get my hands on this book. I'm sure everyone listening is like, pause. How do I or get this order? We're going to talk about that in a second. I have one kind of final, I guess it's um, two questions in one for you. So what would you say to someone who is currently single before entering into a marriage? And then what would you say to someone who is in a marriage? And I mean, maybe they're practicing the opposite of all five of the secrets. Like what advice would you give to each of those? Wow. Well, first I'll tell you this. Um, John and I teach workshops around the world um, on the five secrets and people can sign up for them on our website. They're Zoom events and they're about two to two and a half hours long. We do a very deep dive into the five secrets and talk at length and teach, teach on the five secrets. And then we take question and answer for another hour plus. And people come out of those workshops with a great deal of like, wow, I, I, you know, cause they see the ways that they are practicing the opposites. And the second thing I would say is that if you're practicing the opposites, um, get with a coach or get with somebody who can work with you on just the simple habits. These are habits, the simple habits of changing your perspective. And it's a neurological groove in your brain. Your nervous system has gotten accustomed to being critical. It's gotten accustomed. You know, they, there's a thing they say that um, if you're looking for hearts in nature, you'll find them everywhere. If you're looking for um, blue-green cars, you'll see them everywhere you go. 
because your reticular activating system in your brain has, is awake and looking for that. So when you're looking for things to love and appreciate about your spouse, or you're looking for the different ways that you can practice each of the five secrets, um, you've trained your, you're training your brain to get in a new groove and it's the positive groove versus the negative and scorekeeping groove. It's that simple, but it really, if you work with somebody and you start keeping a little journal of how many times, like I start people with three, three appreciations a day, but I ramp it up to five or six. I mean, John appreciates me at least eight or nine times a day. And I do the same. I mean, this is like, it's, you know, as my father would say, a mutual admiration society. Um, But it's a really powerful, it's a powerful habit. I mean, it just breeds just so much love and affection between the two of you. So um, I would advise that. The other is for couples, and I'll I'll leave room for you to add, John. (laughs) For couples coming into a relationship, my greatest advice is take a long time to decide whether or not this is the right person. Because if you date for a couple of years or longer, you're gonna see if there's red flags on the field. You're gonna see if they lose their temper quickly. You're gonna see if um, they dismiss your feelings when you have something that's really hurting. Uh, You're gonna get to see if when you go out to dinner, they hog the conversation and you don't get a word in edgewise. You know, I mean, it's like little things, but you're going to get to see it. And what I, what I want most, and I really want to teach young people because we are old enough to be your parent. And I want to teach young people very much because I think that most young people are so young in their understanding of themselves, as John said earlier, they're still growing. Um, and, you know, if you follow Gary V on Instagram, he's always telling young people, hey, you got 10 years. You don't even have to wake up yet. Travel, figure <laughs> out what you like. You know, it's like, that's what I want to say to them. I mean, I just howl when I watch him talk to young people because, yeah, date. And, you know, if there's problems while you're dating, stop dating, move on, yeah. you know, the right person isn't going to come with a ton of baggage and problems and they're going to, they're going to get you in a way that you haven't felt like you were ever witnessed. And at the same time, just let, let it spread out. There's no need to marry right away. I am a great believer that if young couples would date for four to five years, they would never get divorced because they would know for sure this is the one because there'd be so many opportunities I want to just say this, she's not spouting theory that that happened to me when we, we first fell in love. I desperately wanted to get married immediately. And I, I, you know, the way I told a friend of mine, if I don't, if I don't get married, I'll die. That's how it felt. <laughs> and it was, it was Anna who said, you know, I think we need to put that on pause. I think we had hit that pause button and hold on for a bit. And it was a very nice way of saying, I think you need to hold on. She knew that I needed to, I really needed some time on, on my own to think up to, to, to kind of live in my own skin for a bit. Cause I hadn't been living on my own for, you know, for ages forever, really in my adult life, we dated for 10 years before we married. Part of that was we had, a, we had teenage kids and we didn't want to mingle, you know, force mingle the family. And there were other dynamics there, but but part of it was that we needed the time. I needed the time, I know. Um, 
And then you just said something I love, which is they'll, they'll get you. There's hard to explain what that get means, but we all know what it means, right? When somebody really gets you, here's how, here's how Anna gets me. She loves me when I'm at my best, but a lot of people love me when I'm at my best. She loves me when, I, when I'm at my worst. Mm. And you need to be with somebody for a while before you see their worst and what that looks like. And do you love them then? Because I've, we've seen each other in tough times. And we love each other at our worst, which isn't really that bad, but could be bad enough for some people. So, yeah, I'm just going to echo what Anna said. I think this, you know, that is precious time to give yourself as a gift. Take that time, that buffer to explore this relationship and see what its, what its walls and limits look like and feel like. If there are no limits, if it feels like there's no walls, it, it could go on for the rest of your life. Awesome. It takes a while to find that out. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll leave it at that, that I just, I could go on and on and on and dive into everything and keep talking to you forever. Cause this subject, I know like everybody wants to know the secret. Everybody wants to know the magic. And so you have that available. So talk about where can we get our hands on this book? How can we connect with you? What um, Anna, I know you said you had some offerings um, where you work with people. So can you kind of talk about where we can all find you? Sure, absolutely. Um, our website is gogivermarriage.com. All one word, gogivermarriage.com. And if you go there, there's a, a section called programs. And in the program section, you can sign up for coaching you can sign up for workshops. We run workshops every single month. So you can always get into a workshop. Um, and we, uh, yeah, we have all, we have free gifts for anybody that pre-orders. And is there anything I want, you want to add, John? On the homepage, there's the book. And so you, how do you get the book? Well, the book is right there. Um, if you go just to gogivermarriage.com, first thing you'll see is the book and all kinds of links we can offer it, Indigo in Canada and a bunch of US and a bunch of overseas, links it no matter where you are, where you can buy the book. And as Anna is saying, if you pre-order before it comes out, it comes out on March 8th, which is only two weeks away. So I don't know when this airs, but um, if, if you happen to hear this or see this before March 8th, you can pre-order at the site and get some special gifts, which include a few uh, uh, video masterclasses that Anna and I did and, um, and free entry to a live fireside chat we're going to do two weeks after launch with a Q&A session with people. Um, and even if you see this after March 8th, you go to the website, there'll be still another offering of, of uh, free stuff you can get from the site if you order the book through the site. And our wow. fireside chat has Dan Rockwell as the moderator of Leadership Freak. I mean, he's a huge, huge guy. Um, wonderful, amazing man who loves our book so much that he's been just doing everything he can to help us promote it. Um, so uh, I guess the other thing I wanted to add is that social media, we have, um, I am Anna Gabriel Mann on social media. John is John David Mann on, on uh, all social medias. And also um, we have the Go-Giver Marriage on Instagram as well, that people can follow that directly if they want to. Okay. Thank you again for sharing um, and sitting down with me today. I've absolutely loved every second. And um, what a beautiful gift that you are offering to the world, because I know so many people are at that point where it's either, you know, 
I'm in or I'm out on the fence. So I just think that this is going to be such a beautiful gift that's going to change and transform so many relationships, marriages around the world. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.